Hello! You reached the word on the hill. We can't take your call right now, but we sure look forward to giving you a message in return. Beep! Was that too loud? Not at all. Was that with the official beginning? Yeah, let's do it, man. I'm Scott Powell. <laughs> and I'm Father Peter Bussett. And like he said, this is the word on the hill. We're the lanky guys. Man, we've uh, we've been blowing up recently with uh, emails and, and comments and suggestions. Some of you like us, some of you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's awesome. So, man, we got uh, you know it's uh, jumped over the lazy dogs. Really? I, yeah, yeah. Not. Yeah. Uh, hold on, hold on. Jumps, jumps, or jumped? Because I jumps. Said, I said jumped. Jumps. Jumps. Yeah, but then you don't have no s in the alphabet. Nobody knows what we're talking about except that one. That Facebook one kind friend. Maybe maybe we should talk about this stuff at the end. Maybe we should talk about this stuff at the end. Yeah, yeah. We want to say a word at the beginning, though, just sort of about what we're doing here. There's some terms that we've thrown out over the uh, over the weeks and months. Who knows how long you've been listening to us? Havarim is one Havarim. of them. So what we're doing here, I mean, and and we have gotten a lot of emails, a lot of feedback, and we love it. And um, but you know, one of the things we we do joke around a lot. We make fun of each other a lot. We get off track. <laughs> Dude, I've never lot. been off track once. I've. Been you, precisely where, <laughs> dude. I made in your cold pizza. <laughs> I we always talk about food, and so if you yeah. listen to this podcast, you will have to know that we are lanky guys who like food. You know, if I were you, I would be. I would eat lunch with us while you listen to the podcast. Then it can feel like we're all sharing a meal together. Um, which is actually intrinsic to to covenant. It is. So Father's thrown out this word havarim a few times over the course of the podcast, and then that's kind of what we're doing. So a havarim. What's a havarim? Somebody somebody asked us that uh, about a week ago. A havarim, this is a Jewish concept, but the idea in ancient Judaism was that when people studied the scriptures, it wasn't enough to merely study them and reflect on them on one's own, but you had to come together with a group of people that you could argue with and debate with and bounce ideas off of and, and actually have discussion because they believe that actually brought the scriptures to life. And there, there's two, the ancient tradition, the Christian tradition do always saw two parts of reading scripture. There's the reading scripture. You can sit in your room and you can meditate and you can pray over scripture, which we have to do. But there's also the the idea that we need to, we need to, to talk about it. We need to argue about it and yell about it and make fun of Father Peter and, and his <laughs> hair. <laughs> your hair is good today. Hey, thanks. But you know, the, this idea, and this is, this is the life of the church. And I don't think enough of us do this. And I'm really grateful that we get the opportunity to do it. And then that you guys can do it with us because you can shout back at us over email and yell at us on Facebook and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Basically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a habarim mm. together here with this podcast. You know, we're doing it live with each other, but that does not mean that you uh, you shouldn't engage. And that's why we always are beseeching you to send us emails. Beseech so you. Bes- I besought him such that. It's funny. We always tell people that we want feedback and emails, but whenever there's something the least bit negative, I always get super depressed. Dude, <laughs> think that everyone hates us and we have to cancel the podcast because it's not funny at <laughs> But I don't think we should. No, I, really? That's like that's really upsetting to me. That's like Paul and Barnabas. I get over it pretty quick. I'm yeah. a melancholic sanguine, which is a really bizarre combination. So you get really so I feel s- things really deeply for a short amount of time, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you're done with it. And then, I'm, then I'll come back sometimes. Anyway, what, what were you <laughs> that's kind of kind of like lunch. Kind of like. It's snowing again. It's May first, and we're getting dumped on with a foot of snow here in Boulder. I think I feel like listening back to these podcasts, we're either we're either talking about food or the weather most of the time, which is which is a good conversation starter for all of us. We usually have a lot of food and weather 
<laughs> You're up on the hill. Up on the hill. Whoop, up on whoop, the hill. So we're, this is the thing, is that I, uh, I've i really been enjoying the feedback that uh, I've been getting from yes. everybody. And we'll we'll give some shout-outs here at the end and uh, to somebody. <laughs> oh, yeah, lots of you, you know what the thing is? is I, li- I listen to one podcast, um, Group Therapy with Above and Beyond. I've seen that one on, on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, is it's, it good? Yeah, it used to be Trance Around the World. And so it's it's just really, it's like super dancey techno trance is that the one you let me hear that one time with all the shout outs yeah exactly that one's awesome they're like we give a shout out to sareem in india who says to his girlfriend i love you in south america we love you they're amazing and so we that's kind of what we will convey messages to someone if you want us to it's so you can send us a message and we will Put it out in the the airwaves to have for everyone. Here. That, we it may become slightly obscured because it's like the telephone game. It certainly will become obscured. <laughs> I can guarantee. It. But this is the thing: is one of the things that is not in biblical studies is the telephone game. That is the majority of modern biblical studies, unfortunately. No, is the telephone? Are game? Are you kidding me? This is this is one of my pet peeves against modern biblical studies. You've heard this. It's the whole G- the, the whole historical Jesus movement, this idea that we can never really know what Jesus actually said. All we have are these words that are recorded that are basically a big game of telephone. Jesus said something, then he passed it down to his disciples, and his disciples told somebody else, and then they told somebody else, and eventually somebody put it down on paper. But really what we got on paper is somebody's agenda and somebody's you know mindset and whatever, and it's far removed from what Jesus actually said. There was an incredibly dangerous thing that happened a couple decades ago, some of you guys might remember the Jesus Seminar. Do you remember the Jesus Seminar? It was like in the, in the mid-80s or yeah, something. Yeah, didn't they have like colored balls and they voted on whether yeah, or not it was authentic? That's exactly right. They brought all these scholars and the news media ate it up. They loved it. And they brought all these scholars and they read through literally every line of the Gospels. And they would color code every line saying, okay, we think Jesus, I forget what the colors were, but either we're sure Jesus really did say this. That's red. We think Jesus may or may not have said it. That's another color. Jesus probably didn't say it. It's another color. And Jesus almost certainly did not say it was another color. And their results were basically an an unbelievable, I don't remember the number, but the unbelievable fraction of what's actually in the gospel. They said, yeah, we can actually trust that, which told the world, we scripture scholars of the world, we academics, we do not trust a word of the scriptures or the Bible or or the gospel. And so this Jesus that shows up in the gospel can't be believed. And you, you know, one of my favorite scholars, I don't think I've talked to him on this podcast, but I've talked to you about him. His name is Ken Bailey. Yeah. He's this anthropologist. Well, he's a theologian anthropologist, and he spent years living among these Bedouin tribes and stuff in the Middle East. And he was trying to get to the heart of, okay, how do people really convey information in these cultures? And living among them now tells us a lot about how they did it then. And a lot of the cultures and the tribes he lived with don't have writing. And if you don't have a writing as a part of your your language or your everyday stuff, you're going to convey information much more carefully, right? Yeah. I mean, if I hear a piece of information that somebody tells me, I can just go look it up online. I can I can verify whether it's true or not. If you don't have any of those things, yeah. then you're going to take great care. And he discovered these tribes even today in the Middle East. You know, only certain people in the community could could tell a story or could share this piece of information. So. Basically, in studying this anthropology, he determined no, the gospels actually are trustworthy. Um, hmm. Maybe I could even put a link. He has some great articles. I could put them up on our Facebook site. There's some, there's some neat stuff that he discovered in living with these tribes and these Bedouin tri- peoples. Anyway. Dude, and that's actually always what I've been taught as well about yeah. the nature of biblical studies is that uh, 
is that it's not the telephone game. We, but we, we, we need to point out that it's not because so many people believe it is. Yeah, that that you know, it, if, yeah, some people pass it on, but actually, oral tradition can be a profound safeguard against. Um, he, you should see Scott is now like leaning as far away from the microphone as he can so that he can chew a cookie, because they're because they're they're chewy but they're crunchy. Father Peter makes some pretty mean chocolate chip cookies. They're and they're really big. And they're the size. Like when I was in middle school, I remember I used to I, I uh, used to go around to each of the tables and I'd be like, "Can I get a nickel from you? Can I get a dime? Anybody got some change?" <laughs> I hated that kid. Yeah, I was. I was no, him. No, I didn't. Because ev- and every time I could get a chocolate milk and a big cookie by the end of the by the end of the period. Nice. But but I, I didn't realize that I, that was what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you make them. Now I make them, and but, but these are the, actually the same size as those. I mean, like literally, um, they're they're as big as a small plate. As big as a small plate. No, they, they are like a like a saucer. Yeah, saucer. They're bigger than some saucers I've seen. So anyway, speaking of saucers and <laughs> alien life, let us let's uh, <laughs> let's segue with absolutely no skill into our next um, thing. That the we're readings. Doing. The readings. The we next have, thing that we're doing. We've had a theme over the last few weeks. If you've been paying attention, and I've been whining about it. I don't know if you've looked at these yet, or if you've looked at this particular thing. So we've been in Acts of the Apostles for the last few weeks. And the thing that keeps happening to us is we keep having these these kind of really <laughs> spread apart passages from really good stories that have kind of been hacked up a little bit, but that, that's okay. And this one, um, if you remember, the we passage, lost twenty verses. But do you know what we lost? I'm looking now. No, it's in Acts 15. That's where we are, and the part that's actually lost in the story. So we start out. We start out. It's Acts 15. Uh, Verse one, it says some, well, let's, let's just read this first part and then we'll, we'll catch us up to speed. It says some who had come down from Judea were instructing the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the Mosaic practice, you cannot be saved. And because there was little, uh, there was no little dissension and debate, Paul and Barnabas with them, it was decided that Paul, Barnabas, and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles about the situation. All right. So here's what's happening. Paul is up in, I think we're in Antioch at the moment. We're still in kind of Paul's home base. And they're sharing the gospel and they're welcoming Gentiles. And we talked about this last week, right? All the Gentiles, they're hearing the word of God. They're becoming Christian. They're being baptized. All this stuff's happening. And some Christians, some believers from Jerusalem have come up and they're like, wait a second. This is great. This is nice that you guys are welcoming them in. But if they're going to be full-fledged believers and part of this covenant family, then they've got to follow the Mosaic laws. All of Deuteronomy, in other words. They have to be circumcised. This is a group called either, sometimes they're called the Judaizers or the Circumcision Party, if you've heard those terms. Yeah, yeah, I've heard them. And so Paul Paul and Barnabas is like, no, wait a second, they don't have to follow these things. And they're saying, yes, they do have to follow them. And it's this big, deep question. What do we do in the New Testament about the Old Testament? Yeah. Do we have to follow these laws or not? Because, you know, we don't think about this now, 2,000 years later. We, we don't follow these laws. We don't keep kosher, do we? We don't worry about these things. But at one point they did. I do like kosher salt, though. But Kosher salt is really good. But it's just because of the grain size and not because of the um, koshering process <laughs> to make it kosher. Yeah, fair enough. Even though it is actually kosher salt because it's for koshering. But we'll just talk about that later. I did have a kosher turkey one Thanksgiving, and it tasted different. Yeah, because it's actually supposed to remove the blood from the meat. That's why it's a big grain, because it can soak it up, and then you can flake it off. That actually makes sense. Why is kosher salt is bigger grain? Yeah, because it's it's for koshering. And so, oh. so See, that was a segue, but that was a good one. That was an interesting one. <laughs> hey, thanks. Um, 
Anyways, like, so the, the rest of mine aren't. I really no, no, appreciate no. that. The, no, the no, listening both of audience us. is now mad at you. No, sometimes we both <laughs> go off on things that have nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but that one is super. That is, I learned something thank very you. fascinating today. You're, you're welcome. Thank you, Father Peter. And thank you, Scott, for pointing that out. Thank you for thanking me for that. You're welcome. And I will thank you again for that. <laughs> so, anyway, this question this is one of the biggest <laughs> problems in the early church. What do you do with the Old Testament? And so here's what happens they, they pick. Paul and Barnabas to do what? To go down to Jerusalem. And so what then we lose or what we, what's missing in this passage is what's called the Council of Jerusalem. So remember the Council of Jerusalem? So this is this is the first, the church's very first council. ecumenical council yep. where all the apostles and the elders, they gather together to discuss the question, what do we do about Gentiles, non-Jewish people and the Old Testament law? Do they have to follow it? Do they not have to follow it? What do we do about this? And it, it's so fascinating if you get a chance to go back and read it because there's this huge fight that takes place in the early church. The, the disciples, the apostles themselves are arguing about it. They're fighting. Some people think one way. Some people think another way. And they're going back and forth. And, and Paul is giving his testimony. He's like, no, look at what we've seen. Look at what's happening up there. And finally, it's in, uh, I don't know, it's around verse 7. Peter stands up. Remember, Peter, we believe, is the Pope, the chief apostle. Peter stands up and says, okay, here's the decision. After all this debate, after all this discussion, the decision is we're not going to hold the Gentiles to this stuff. They're not bound to the Old Testament law. And again, without getting into all the theology, what, what Paul and Peter later determine is that the Old Testament laws were meant to be temporary. They're not, we're not breaking the Old Testament laws because the Old Testament laws like the kosher food laws, who you can eat with, how you wash your hands, these are temporary laws. And so now the time for them to be lifted is here. That's the decision. And this is where we get that line. You know, Peter has spoken, the case is closed. It's, it's kind of like turning to your kids and saying, you cannot have cookies at lunch. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> and, and then and then for the rest of their lives, if somebody eats a cookie at lunch, right. they're going like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> like they're they're like they're and you're you're like you are preventing the Messiah from coming because you're eating a cookie at lunch. I actually am eating a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly it. And and so they're so they're saying, "No, hold on, we, we can have cookies." I mean, again, I'm right. I'm arguing from analogy here. No, it's true. It's but, a good analogy. But it's it's a temporary injunction because exactly. the, the cookies are bad for a, a child that is one foot high. Well, it's not that the cookies are bad. It's that the child is bad, right? Sometimes if the <laughs> oh, yeah. child is misbehaving, you have to take something that's good or that's neutral and take it away from them. It's not because the thing is bad, but because they're bad or they're being bad. And the Old Testament laws only come about after the golden calf thing happens. So there's there's a whole narrative that goes with this. But there's something that gets a little bit confusing here. And the thing that gets weird about it, and people people get troubled about this. So Peter speaks, and he says, "Okay, we don't have to hold them to this. That's kind of the bottom line." And you, then, why put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? Yes, which we or our fathers have never been able to bear. Right? Even we can't keep these laws. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we believe that all that we shall be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So we're all kind of an equal footing now. <laughs> it's a beautiful. What is that? Save grace law. How's the stuff? That's the argument. Okay. Yeah. What is the song? Here? No, no. <laughs> that's just my alarm. That's just like that's like. Oh no! Here comes really bad things. That is really uh, difficult and like yeah. like like warning warning. Yeah, I mean <laughs> this this is the whole thing. You know, in, in the book of Romans specifically, there's this whole argument of it. Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? And we oversimplify that. I think Martin Luther oversimplified this. I mean, the, the reality when when Paul talks about works. He usually says works of the law, which mm -hmm. is shorthand for works 
of the law of Deuteronomy. He's talking about a very specific thing because it was believed in the Old Testament that you were saved. In other words, you're brought into the covenant family through these laws, which were, were a gift that God gave us. I mean, the, the, the Jewish people weren't, you know, this works righteous, you know, hoity-toity thinking they can, were in their way into heaven. I mean, they believed God gave us the law as a gift. We're thankful for it. We need to keep it. And that's how we get membership into the family. Yeah. Paul's saying, no, it's not through that anymore. It's through your faith, which whenever Paul talks about faith, he's usually talking about baptism as well. And that's just, just, you can count up the times he said faith and baptism together. And that's it's just the reality. So faith versus works is not, you know, are I saved by just believing in things or by doing stuff. Paul doesn't care if you work at a soup kitchen or not. He probably would want you to, but that's not how you get entrance into the family of God. But that, anyway, that's, yeah, there's a much bigger argument over all this stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, listen to the brother. So it says in verse 12 that all the assembly kept silence, which is kind of a neat line. So Peter speaks and then everybody shuts up. Because it's done. The Pope has spoken on this. But then, this is where things get weird. Now Barnabas stands up and Paul and they talk about all these stories and they put testimony to it. And then verse 13, after they finish speaking, it says James replied. Now James, do you remember where James is the bishop of in the first century? James um, the S- Santiago in Spain? That's James the Lesser, right? He actually was never a bishop out there. His, he bones, his bones just ended up there because oh, his of... Bones ended up. That's, yeah, St. James of the Starfield, something like the Compostola. But um, that's, no, I was making a joke. So I don't really, I I don't really know. I didn't get it. I'm sorry. That's okay. You've been missing a lot of stuff today. I know. It's been a rough day. (laughs) (laughs) James is the Bishop of Jerusalem. Where is this council being held? Jerusalem. It's in Jerusalem. So the Bishop of the local diocese then stands up. He says, okay, this is Peter's decision. This is great. This is what the church is doing. I have a couple addendums to make, right? I have a couple caveats I would like to throw in. And he said this. This is interesting because this is going to come back up in the reading for this week. Hmm. James said, brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to make of them a people for his name. So we're welcoming the Gentiles. Da, 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 da. We jump down to verse 19. He says, therefore, my judgment as bishop, who is part of this council, is that we shouldn't trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. This is great. But, verse 20, we should write to them to abstain from the pollutions of idols and from unchastity and from what is strangled and from blood. Kosher salt. Kosher salt. Unchastity, by the way, that's the word porneia, P-O-R-N-E-A, which is fairly generic in the Old Testament. It shows up a lot. I'm sorry, the New Testament. Um, unchastity, it, it shows up a few times. Unchastity is not just doing unchaste things, you know, looking at girls wrong or something like that. That's not what it means. In the context, it usually means um, sexual relations that are a little bit too close. So in other words, you know shagging up with your cousin or your sibling or something like that. That's actually, there's a very specific historical context to the word unchastity, not just generic unchastity, but yeah, family relations that are, that are weird or too close or something. Yeah. Okay. And and here's what he's saying though. Here's the point. He's saying, okay, this is great. We're not going to hold them to the law. This, this makes sense. But he says, you know what, Moses, the, the, the generations from Moses, they've set up these synagogues and they've established cities full of Jewish people all over the empire. They're all over the place. And if these Jewish people who would probably pre- be predisposed to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding that this is the fulfillment, if they see these Christians now marrying their cousins, which they're, they're just considered like, whoa, if they see, you know, the Gentiles, the Greek speaking world in, in the Roman empire, there was a delicacy which ha- I don't want to get gross, and I just told you you should start eating your, your lunch, so maybe stop for a second. <laughs> yeah. But there was a delicacy where— and, and Can kids hear this? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is okay. nothing weird. It's just kind of gross. Okay. But there was a delicacy in which um, they would kill their animals and strangle them in such a way that kept all of the blood inside the body 
because it basically just made juicier steaks and stuff. Oh. And it was a way of preparing food that was abhorrent to the Jewish point of view, which had to do with draining the blood as far as the kosher laws. Ah. So, so here's what he's saying. He's like, okay, this is fine. The gospel is going to go out. We're not bound to this stuff. But for the sake of prudence... For the this sake is, of pastoring, actually. For the sake of pastoring, See, so this, that people will be a, willing to hear this. It's not about whether or not these are righteous things or exactly, not. Exactly, exactly. He's, uh, I mean, of course, unchastity. That, that's <laughs> un, well, un, well, but I mean, in the in the Greek speaking world, it wasn't that big of a deal to marry your cousin, which is not. Uh, I don't know if it's objectively a huge sin. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that we shouldn't do it. Yeah, but yeah, but you can be like, well, that's kind of a weird. But he's saying, just look, just be cool about this. Just, just, just be with us on this. Yeah, he says so, so that the rest of the gospel can be taken seriously. Exactly. Don't make this more important. Exactly. The, have a, a proper hierarchy of goods. Exactly. A hierarchy of truths. And he's saying, I understand we're lifting the law, but for the sake of pastoring, like you said, let's just keep them to the. Let's ask them to hold these things. It's like Paul or, remember, or evangelization or for evangelization. Evangelization, yeah, exactly. pastoring. Say, yeah, we don't have to make this a big important deal exactly it's kind of it's kind of like some of the the um the clothing up here you can make oh, yeah. modesty issues the absolute most important totally. thing in the world but right. but in the reality like uh, in the hierarchy of goods it does fall much lower and right. it, it that has a tendency to work out as time goes on yeah well there's a great example so some friends of mine i was i was a part of focus we some of us are familiar with the focus ministry which is a great ministry but when i joined focus i joined maybe focus is third year or something. It was really early on in the focus days and a group of our friends and you, you know, some of these people, Olivia, I think you might be listening for the Dave, boop, boop. bunch of folks. They were uh, missionaries down in Alabama at this place called Troy state university. Roll tide. They don't roll tide there. They don't roll tide. Sorry. But, um, they went down there and they were going to be one of the, one of the few Catholic presences in the Bible belt, deep in the Baptist Bible belt. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they made this decision that while they were down there on campus, they were not going to drink any alcohol. Why? Not because alcohol is bad or it's bad to have a beer once in a while. But if most of the student population in the deep Bible Belt Baptist world saw them having a beer, they wouldn't listen to anything else they had to say. Got so it. they're like, you know what? For the sake of these folks, for the sake of preaching the gospel and being heard, we're going to abstain from all alcohol. Not because it's bad, but because we care for these people and we want them to see us and, and be willing to hear what we have to say. And that was, I, I thought that was a really beautiful example of what we're talking about here. yeah that's a great principle yeah and that comes up and that's when our reading now picks back up which <laughs> which know, is our we, theme we lost the whole <laughs> the whole story and then it says the apostles and the elders they were in agreement with the church and they sent out representatives and they sent paul and barnabas basically to deliver this letter and half of the reading this week is this letter basically saying hey this is our decision as a church we're lifting you know the, the Old Testament law, but we're going to ask you to do these three things. Idols, don't worship stone statues, <laughs> you know, this unchastity, pornea, and strangulation and blood. Just be cool about that. And that's the first reading. But all of it is is kind of the nuts and bolts of, it's really beautiful. It's the nuts and bolts of how do you share the gospel? How do you perpetuate the spread of the word of Jesus Christ? Because we have to be smart about how that works. It's not just magic. You know, we actually have to think about these things. And have a strategy. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of, I think it's a neat story. Me too. All right. On to the Psalm. Oh, I've been excited about the Psalm too. Yeah. So everybody's been loving. I have to say this, Scott, I've been talking to people and they're like, dig in the fact that you've been breaking open the Psalm. And it's really been helpful for me too. I'm digging it too, because it's forcing me to learn the stuff that is kind of obscure sometimes. Yeah. No kidding. So we got Psalm 67. Psalm 67. 
sorry, I keep turning away from my, I have one computer over here that I'm recording on. Then my computer with the readings are over here. So I keep losing the mic. I'm over here. everywhere. And uh, now I'm back. And then, and then you have an iPhone to your right. Then I have an iPhone to my right. That's you're surrounded. And the, and the, one of my coworkers keeps updating his calendar and keeps beeping on my phone. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Matt. Thanks a lot, Matt. You don't listen. <laughs> uh, all right. Psalm 67. Okay. Um, God, oh God, let all the nations praise you. Um, may God have pity on us and bless us. Let his face shine upon us um, so that you, your way may be known on the earth among all peoples for salvation. Now, Psalm 67, one of the things I discovered about this psalm, uh, up in, uh, since about the 5th or 6th century, so from really early on, the tradition in Western Christianity was mm-hmm. um, for Psalm 66, oh, I'm sorry, 67. Psalm 67. Did you study the right one? <laughs> well, no, there's the Hebrew version and the Greek version. Ah, Remember, it, the numbering's it. different depending on what. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's so why it, Psalm, it, it, Psalm 150, like 51 and 50. Is like, exactly. exactly. And I read everything in Hebrew, so <laughs> that's how I have to roll. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> um, but from, from, from the earliest days, from very early on, Psalm 67 was often read at daybreak. So it was the first Psalm of the Matins. And this was started, I think the tradition was started by a guy, I want to get his name right. I think it was started by a guy named St. Benedict of Nursia. I have no idea where he was from, but he was the one, I think, who started this tradition of praying at daybreak. Hmm. And here's the idea. The idea was as as dawn breaks and the sun begins to, to creep over the horizon, what's going to happen as the day goes on is that that light from the sun, it's going to start as a sliver, and then it's going to start to move its way all across the face of the earth which is one of the references to one of the lions. Oh. But the idea is, and here's where I think whether it's, um, whether it was uh, implicit or explicit, this is where the wisdom of the church comes because what's our first reading? It's about this gospel message, which starts as a sliver now expanding and going out like the sun goes out over the, over the face of the earth. Ooh. And so this Psalm is appropriate because we're telling the story of how the gospel begins, you know, as this tiny sliver, but then goes out in this beautiful way over all of the earth. And I, I was uh, reminded, I got really excited as we're eating lunch. Um, it's Romans 10, verse 8. Paul actually compares, I forgot about this. He compares the spread of the gospel to the sun passing from one end of the sky to the other. Oh, which is actually, the gospel. which is also like Psalm 19. Exactly. It is like Psalm 19. The Psalm, this is a, this is one of the favorite themes of the Psalms, yeah. which is just cool because it also evokes all these things, you know, in the, in the old Testament, it, 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 Psalm 67 is also reaffirming the covenant that God has made. And if you go back to the tradition of all the covenants that God makes, remember one of the, one of the earliest covenants was um, the second covenant that he makes after Adam and Eve, he makes one with Noah. You remember the story of Noah? So they get off the boat. There's the rainbow and all these things. But if you read the text, I think it's I think it's Genesis doesn't he, 9. Doesn't he like make a vineyard get drunk and have some sort of weird yeah, that happens later. relationship? Yeah, that's later on. Oh, okay, sorry. But when God, <laughs> well, God makes a covenant with him yeah, and yeah. says, I'm not, you know, I'm putting my bow in the clouds. That's the rainbow and I'm not going to destroy the earth in this way. And then later on, Noah's going to get drunk and naked and everything else. But um, <laughs> that, what's that's... interesting about that covenant, and scholars have loved to talk about this, God makes this covenant with Noah, but he actually, it's explicit. If you go back and read Genesis 9, he makes it with all of the earth, with the whole of creation explicitly. Hmm. Hmm. And the important thing about that, you know, we've just talked about how they realized in the early church, we've lifted in a certain sense, all the ramifications of, of the covenant with Moses, the laws of Deuteronomy. The covenant made with Noah is never reneged. It's always still in place, which means God's covenant with not just human beings, but with all of that, all that he has created remains in place from the time of Noah. 
that God says, I am making a covenant with myself to all of my creation, which is kind of beautiful so that we can see something like the sunrise at the beginning of the day, pray a psalm like Psalm 67 and be reminded that, wow, this is actually how God has built the structure of the cosmos, that this is how his gospel is meant to go out. And if you read the psalm, it's all about um, God's God's majesty going out among all the nations, going out to all the peoples, which is precisely what the first reading is all about, going out to the nations, to the, to the, the goim, right, to the Gentiles. Anyway, I, I thought it was kind of a neat connection. I think it's awesome. Let's get into the Revelation. The Revelation, which is also just a really... We've been in Revelation for a while, too. Yeah, we've been in Acts Revelation. <laughs> and the Psalms. We're always going to be <laughs> in the Psalms. <laughs> so Revelation. But, but, okay, so this is cool. So this is this passage about um, about the... the, the well, here, here's what I want to say about this. Um, let's read this really quickly. It says, The angel took me in spirit to a great high mountain and it showed me that he showed me the holy city jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god so which is talked, a, which is a zoom in from the reading that we had last week exactly exactly right and, and remember we talked about this idea that the idea of the new creation the idea of heaven is not us floating off somewhere it's god actually coming to us it's the new jerusalem coming down not us going up which is really beautiful so here it is coming down it gleamed with the splendor of god its radiance was that of a precious stone, like jasper, clear of uh, clear as crystal, had a high mass of wall, et cetera, et cetera. Um, think about this first of all. One thing I just want to point out: we talked about Genesis back in the first, in the second, in the <laughs> when are we just talking about Genesis? The Psalm. Yeah, we were just talking. We refer, referred to it, but if you think about Genesis, look, look at how God's creation has progressed. We started this whole story of Scripture in a garden with two people. And by the end of the story, if you go to all the way to the back of the book, now we have multitudes of nations all in a giant city. And if you kind of look at it that way, it's just kind of a neat image. And it's a very Jewish way of looking at things. Um, the Jewish sense of happiness, certainly in the first century, was the more people you have, the better. Because the more people you have to share your joy with and share your life with. So the idea of the city, the polis, was... was kind of this this huge concept because it's where you can share life together. So God's creation has progressed from two people in a garden to a whole bunch of people in a city that is actually a garden city with, with trees blossoming and fruit coming off and rivers running through it and all this stuff, which is really cool. And so the city is coming down out of heaven and we get these descriptions of all these precious stones that are yeah. in on the city, which is interesting because if you go back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, when Eden is described, we're told that there was a, a, a river that flowed out of Eden. And wherever this river went, it brought a soil with it that was rich in jasper and crystal and onyx and all this stuff. Oh. So the, and it seem, this seems obscure, but these gems that are found in the land, in the garden back in Genesis, what you're seeing here, what you can imagine is that you have man who is a gardener. He has now harvested these stones out of the garden and he's placed them onto the holy city that has come down. So God's creation has now been harvested and gardened and it's now been made into something beautiful. And I, 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 somebody pointed that out to me once and I just thought it was the most profound, beautiful image ever. I just thought it was really, really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then it goes on. The next part of this reading says that there was no, I, I saw no temple in the city, which is interesting too. What, what was the point of the temple? Well, the point of the temple is worship of God. Why was, why? Sacrifice. Though? No, no, you're right. It's worship of God through sacrifice, but why? That's what you did in the temple, but what was the temple? The temple was the presence of God amongst his people. Exactly. 
So why is there no temple in this city? Oh, because the God is with them. Because God is God's presence. It, it is a you get the idea that all of creation is a giant temple. It, it, again, if you follow the whole storyline of this thing, mm. I mean, you start in the garden in the beginning of the Bible. And where's God? Well, he's with them. He's walking in the cool of the day. You know, he's chatting with them. He gets his hands in his pocket. He's whistling, right? I mean, he's there. And then what happens? You have sin. Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. Then you have more sin as you go on throughout the story. Eventually, there's a tabernacle built where God is. And then there's more sin. Then there has to be a temple built around the tabernacle. Then there's more sin. And then there's gates built around that. So the further you go into the biblical story, you get this distancing every step of the way of, of God from his people. He's still there. But there's layers upon layers that we have to get through before we can actually access him. And by the time you get, you know, in, in the years before Jesus, there's, they believe, you know, in the Holy of Holies, that's the place where God dwelt. But the only person who could go in there was the high priest, and he could only go in once a year. And when the high priest, did you know this? On the Day of Atonement, when the high priest could go into the temple, they actually had to tie a rope around his waist so that if he were to die or something or be struck dead in there, they could pull his body out and nobody else would have to go in there because they were so terrified of God's presence. <laughs> that alone tells you there's something wrong with the system, doesn't it? <laughs> that, that, again, going back to the first reading, this has got to be a temporary reality. Dude, Hebrews talks about this. You just made total sense of the movie Poltergeist for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my that was my aim. Because, so. dude, there was, a big, there was a big supernatural thing that happens, and so they have to, like, rescue Carol Ann with, like, tennis balls and, and rope. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Same, same idea. Yeah, but, but like, totally perverted. <laughs> I mean, like, a perverted idea, no, not, like, I, perverted as in, like, it. porneo. I got it. I got it. But, again, you pointed this out last week. That's why it's so significant. What, what happens when Jesus is crucified? He dies. <laughs> yes he does but you 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 just mentioned this well i guess a lot of things that wasn't fair to you i guess a lot of things happen when jesus dies yeah yeah so jesus dies oh the, oh, the, the curtain the curtain, the curtain, the curtain gets torn in two. which is the symbol which actually has separated us from the presence of god it's shri- it's it's not just torn it's schizoed it's ripped and shredded in half which tells you the whole not just you know oh great the doorway's open to the temple now we can all go in it tells you the whole structure of the cosmos has now changed which is which is actually what lands us into this gospel exactly because because what we're what we're talking about is we're talking about the descent ascent yes. of yes. Christ for the delivery of the spirit yes and this comes in the in the part of John where John is is um he's talking about going and it, it's in a, it's in a chiastic structure so that means that the beginning and the end uh, are, are related to each other and the middle parts are related to each other as a central principle central principle of this particular one this comes at the end of that chiasm um, and this this reading and the central principle is I'm going to send you the spirit the, oh, advocate. the advocate and so so but but what this what this this last part the first part of it's relating to is Jesus saying I'm going to prepare a place for you if I told you that I was not going to prepare a place for you I wouldn't have said that I was going to go to prepare a place for you so now Good he's point. saying I'm going away and I'm going to come back to you oh. but what's so mysterious about what he's saying and what's so difficult for them to grasp is um the uh, the understanding is that the temple is so outside of them. Mm. It is something that that is is so extrinsic to them, yes. so, to the point on where they have to like, they have to robe themselves exquisitely. They have to tie ropes in case they die, and like there's all of these trapments and rituals just yeah. to make sure that everything's good. Yeah. 
but what what's happening is I, he said, and and so even trying to understand this in light of saying, I'm going to go prepare a place for you that maybe you could stay where the priests stay in the temple. Right. It's actually so profoundly beyond what they are understanding that he's saying the Holy wow. Spirit, I will send in my name, will teach you of everything. He says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't be afraid. He says, I'm going to have this spirit come to you, which the spirit indwelling is what everybody was looking for in the temple. He's right. saying, I'm going to flip this thing around and I'm going to actually invite you into the very life that I have. Right. And I'm going to have this spirit come to you. And the place that I'm preparing for you is actually your own heart. Yeah. That you can... Which ab- is the new temple. Which well, is... It's an extension of the temple, which is Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Because we're yeah, going to be yeah. built up and, and gathered yes. together. So it, it's it's hard to even conceptualize. That's really cool. Um, do you know? I wanted to. T- this is the one thing in the gospel I wanted to mention. That okay, was awesome. Okay. You just blew my mind. But I mean, th- again, thinking along these terms, right? We have the separation. There's walls. There's ropes. There's all this stuff. And Jesus, in upending the system, says, "I'm going to send you a what? Advocate. Do you know counselor?" Well, do you know what the word is in Greek? Parakletos? Yeah. Well, parakaleo is the verb. It's the oh. it's the noun version of the verb parakaleo, paraklete. So we call the Holy Spirit the paraklete. Which right? I, yeah, which I would actually name my child Cletus, Cletus just cuz <laughs> just <laughs> nice. I, I, but that's why they don't give me children. That's why. <laughs> do, you, do you know what parakaleo means by any chance? I don't know if you know this or not. Does it mean lawyer? It, it's a lawyer term. It's a law term. That that's how the term is used. So the one who would give testimony in court. Oh, because because I always wanted I but always that's wanted not to the have etymology of the word. I want to have a T-shirt that says Jesus is my lawyer. Oh, nice. But Do the, it, man. But that's just not. Um, that's just divergent. Remember how we were talking at the earlier part of the podcast? How we do on kind of tangents? No, but okay. that was cool. Okay, so so it is a law term though. It, was, it became used as a law term, but the etymology para and it's two words para and kaleo. So para. Is you know we get words like parallel, yeah, from yeah. para, so next to, and then kaleo is the verb to walk. So what paraclete literally the parakaleo what it literally means is the one who walks beside us, the one who walks next to us, the walker next to her. <laughs> and that's why in Second Corinthians, remember what Paul the whole point of Second Corinthians he says Christ has sent you the parakaleo, the one who walks with you, so that you can parakaleo others. So that you're then able to walk beside them. Oh. And it, it just puts this flesh on this reality that, yes, there's no more walls anymore. There's no there, there's access. Well, what kind of access? Well, it's the kind of access where there's someone who's literally walking with you in this. That's that's the access that God's actually given you. Not just, oh, you can come in now. No, he's going to walk with you. He's going to send his spirit to be the parakaleoer. Which is, which is cool. Walk with you in the cool of the evening. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. That's a cool connection. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, I didn't think about that. That's really cool. This is this is some deep stuff. Yeah. Man. Blown the mind. And that's and that's why it's good to wear jasper and crystal <laughs> and precious stone earrings. Exactly. And rings and necklaces. Amen. Because the temple and that's I'm with you. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I'm just I'm just riffing, man. I'm just This is good. This it. is why it's good to have a havarim. Have a haver <laughs> so you can Ream. If you get shot down. <laughs> so if you get reamed by your haver, ah, uh, then you're okay. way off. <laughs> well, you guys, I mean, this is, I really feel like you're here with us. It's really yeah. interesting. Like the people that are listening right now, mm. I feel their presence. Likewise. I want to give a shout out to Chris Adams, who is a stud. And he said that the uh, 
Podcast Thursday is his favorite day of the week, which um, warmed my wee little heart to hear that. And we're super pumped that you're listening to us. I also want to give a shout out to you. I don't think he listens, but I put this on our Facebook site. If anybody is ever wondering about what, what music we usually put at the beginning of the end, the music we usually have is a, a friend of mine named Dave Wilton who has a great band called The Boy and His Kite, which is awesome. And this song that you're hearing is actually, um, if you listen closely, it's a song about the Lord and about the, the story of salvation. And it's it's cool. And uh, check out Dave Walton. Check out A Boy in His Kite. It's, uh, it's worth your time. He's a spectacular musician. Well, I want to give a shout out to, to Lisa Gross, too, who managed to get uh, to actually discover us in the podcast because nice. uh, I was talking with her and I was like, you got to find us. And oh, so, yeah, I got so, so she, That's awesome. So she, she is, uh, she's all about it. It's awesome. Absolutely. I, I just love being able to share all of this with you guys and, and invite you into the temple. May the Holy Spirit walk with you that you may walk with others. And may you name all your children Cletus. <laughs> <laughs> or Para. <laughs> Hey, the, Para, the, come here! Para! The, Bring Galatus! <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah. May none of you get colitis. Nice. Good, good. Bring it full circle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Next week. On Thursday. On Thursday. Goodbye. Bye bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado www.thomascenter.org You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org See you next week.